Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, Ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now... Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, everybody, on this nice and rainy day. Today, we have Suzanne Huang with us. She's a television host, actor, stand-up comedian, MC, keynote speaker, political activist, minister, radio host, and published author. In her spare time, she sleeps. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Our guest, Suzanne Wong, is such an inspiration for anyone who meets her. About a month ago, now in Beverly Hills, California, Paula and I attended an event called GATE. Uh, The name stands for Global Alliance Transfer. Informational entertainment, and Suzanne was the MC all throughout the entire 12 plus hours of program, always on the crest, keeping laughter on everyone's lips. Um, she's been the host of House Hunters, the number one ra- rated show on HGTV, Home and Garden Television Network, for almost 10 years, and she also hosted the hit spinoff, House Hunters International. And in uh, 2011, Suzanne co-hosted live coverage of the Academy Awards for Oscar.com with Dave uh, Carger of Entertainment Weekly. And in her new solo show, Suzanne Wong reveals her truth about being an overachieving Asian woman. Suzanne radically and comically dissects issues of race, culture, gender, and politics, as well as how she is making stage four cancer her active support for others with laughter. The world of Suzanne Wong is funny, spiritually revealing, poetic, and notorious for helping others to forget their crazy day just for a little while while she's talking. Well, in 2006... Uh, Suzanne started a whole new journey when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it's a journey of healing. And she's going to share her story with us today. Suzanne, welcome. Hi, Taz and Paula. How are you today? I'm great. What a great intro. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for, we know you're so, so busy. And thank you for taking time to be with us. Absolutely. can we start back in the time that you were in university? You went to Yale and Brown Universities. While I did. you were in what uh while you were in the universities, did you contemplate um an entertainment career or did that just come to you by accident? 
Um, that's such a great question. I was studying psychology at Yale, and I got a master's in cognitive psychology at Brown. But um, acting and singing and dancing, those were things that I did just as hobbies. You know, in the Korean handbook, you don't pretend for a living. You have to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or professor. So <laughs> I never thought of that as a career path. Um, so the answer is no, that's not what I was thinking I was going to be doing. I thought that I was going to become a professor of psychology. So how did you drop out? Were you funny as a child? Were you uh, comedic at that time? Um, well, I realized uh, that you know how we play roles in our families? My father was always the funny one when I was growing up. He was always telling jokes and singing songs and telling stories and emceeing parties, and he was the life of the party. So I never thought of myself as the funny one. I thought of myself as someone who appreciated my dad's sense of humor. I was smart and happy and energetic and weird, but I was never thinking of myself as the funny one, and I was never the class clown in school. I was the valedictorian, straight-A student, teacher's pet that everyone hated. Uh, so I was not the class clown growing up. So well, how did this uh, entertainment industry come to you? Um, or well, I would say that uh, I did musicals because I can sing and dance. I did musicals in high school and college just for fun. And when I was 17 years old uh, on summer vacation from Yale, uh, I grew up in Virginia, um, I auditioned for and booked a lead role in an educational short film that uh, very, uh, in a very foreshadowing kind of experience was all about racism. Uh, the plot line of this educational short film was that my character's uh, best friend was Caucasian and we were going to double date to go to the prom in high school and her, my boyfriend was Asian and her boyfriend was white and her boyfriend wanted to take her to dinner at a country club that didn't allow Asians. And so the short film ended with a conflict between me and my best friend uh, because of discrimination, and it ended unresolved. And it was only ever supposed to be shown in schools across the country to promote discussion. It ended up being broadcast on PBS, and it was nominated for an Emmy Award. So that was my that was my first experience with with acting in something. The first thing I ever auditioned for, I booked it. And but even then, it still seemed like a hobby. So it wasn't until uh, after Brown, I moved to Boston, Massachusetts, and got a job at a healthcare consulting firm for a couple of years. And I was listening to the radio, and they were having a cattle call for extras in the television series Spencer for Hire. And I decided that sounded, you know what an extra is, somebody who's walking around in the background of yeah. a television series, you know. And you don't get paid very much money, and, of course, you don't have any lines. But I thought that sounded fun. So I ended up doing that, and I met uh, a guardian angel on the set who basically took me under his wing and told me what he thought I should do, and he thought that I could be acting all the time in Boston. And I took his advice, and within a month I had quit my job. I was in Screen Actors Guild, and I was making a living as an actor. So he knew that he knew that there was a niche for me. There were not many actors in Boston overall, and there were certainly not many Asian female actresses. So uh, he knew that there was a market there for me, and that's pretty much how it all started. Well, I, I, this was meant to be. Yes. Um, we know that you're 
a very spiritual person because you're a minister and um and you I think you study the uh science of mind. I do. Yes. Um I'm much more spiritual than I am religious. Most organized religions end up turning me off because it seems like the focus gets away from the spirituality and and starts to become about divisiveness and judgment and hypocrisy and there's only one way to the top of the mountain which I always found absurd so my question is when did you start the spiritual path um when did I start the spiritual path I think that it might have been ten years ago or more when I started reading books by Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson, and I realized that these people were much more spiritual than religious. And I think it began with reading different books that talked about the collective consciousness and that we are all one. And and from a quantum physics perspective, energy cannot be created or destroyed, and everything is made up of molecules that vibrate. So everything is vibrational frequency. And I do believe that what you put out, you get back. I do believe that whatever you focus on, you empower. And I believe that whatever you resist, persists. And uh, I believe that the golden rule has a quantum physics explanation, that you should treat people the way that you want to be treated, and that's what will happen. For, for sure. When, uh, when you discovered that you had cancer, um, I'm sure that the spiritual part of you kicked in. Well, actually, the first thing that kicked in was my sense of humor. So in 2006, I was doing a self-breast exam at my house, and I found a small lump in my left breast, and I went and got a biopsy. And when I got the phone call from the doctor, and she said, your test came back positive for breast cancer, the first thing I said to her was, wow this is going to be great material for my stand-up comedy act someday. And she said, what? And I said, well, tragedy plus time equals comedy. This is going to kill. And I said, wait a minute. My boobs are so small. How is this even possible? And she says, you need to clear your schedule and get be with a surgeon right away. But really, truly from the very beginning, it occurred to me that it, it seemed so absurd and surreal. And I thought, I'm going to be writing and speaking and performing about this one day, and here we are five years later, and I'm doing a solo show about it that is being received in such a way that it leads me to believe that my whole life has been leading me to doing this particular show because there is a lot of there is a lot of uh, toxic energy around cancer because it is, I believe, caused by toxins in the air, in the water, in the food, in our minds, in our feelings, and in our actions. And so it has given me an incredible opportunity to take a look at my life and my journey and have incredible learning experiences that I am ultimately grateful for. But were you in denial at at the beginning? Was I what? In denial at the beginning? Oh, no, I wasn't in denial, and I did have uh, classic experiences of being angry at the world and thinking, why me? I thought only unhappy people got cancer, and 
Some of the things that I've learned from this journey is, um, are that, first of all, we are only as sick as our secrets. And I felt the strong need to keep this a secret as somebody who's in the public eye. I thought that as a keynote speaker and a minister, it was my job to uh, cure myself of this and then talk about it after the fact. Here's what I did. Here's what you can all do. And my boyfriend, Eric, convinced me that uh, that was not the ideal thing for me to do because he said, babe, you're always saying that it's about the journey, not the destination. You're on the journey of the cancer experience right now, and people need to hear you now. People need you now. So many people are going through this, and you have so much honesty and humor and courage about it. Uh, why not let them in on your journey as you're navigating your way through this and let people help you and support you and love you? And I thought, oh, oh, he's right. <laughs> so I basically threw all pride and ego out the window and got very humble and vulnerable and did a press release and basically came out of the cancer closet and discovered that I realized I've been spending my entire life helping, saving, fixing, and rescuing everyone except for myself. I was myself at the bottom of the list. I used to sleep three hours a night and eat at McDonald's and never meditate and not exercise and say yes to everybody and be all things to all people. I'm sure you guys can relate to this. As women in this country, we're sort of taught to do that. We were, we're supposed to be the superheroes and the martyrs. And it doesn't work because ultimately I was trying to give water to people from an empty well. Do you know what I mean? I was scraping the sides of a dry well to give water to people, and it, it wasn't working. And, and this experience has really forced me to slow down, to get vulnerable, and ask for help, and let people come and help me and love me and support me. And it has been overwhelming. Not only have people come to help, they haven't come to help with resentment or begrudgingly. They come ecstatic to reciprocate what they say is all the love that I've been giving them all these years. And they said, you've been jipping us out of half of a friendship. When we are doing badly and we need help, we tell you and you come and help us and then we feel better and everything's great. And when you need help, you don't tell anybody and you keep it a secret and we don't know and you suffer in silence and solitude and you don't get better. And we don't get the benefit of feeling how great it is to show you love. And I had never thought of it that way before, so it has been a profoundly moving and learning experience for me to get, basically the cancer has cracked my heart open permanently, and I'm letting it all in now. I know, it's really hard to ask for help, you know, for a lot of Isn't people. Isn't it? We, we think that yeah. we have to do it ourselves, but we are human beings on a planet with other human beings, and we are, we are communal by nature. We are social creatures. We need each other. We are interdependent. And I was reading, because um, I was reading through your website somewhere where you were asking for help, and you said even coming over to walk my dog or uh, go shopping for me, I, you know, you were saying I would love yes. any of this, and that that's hard for people to do. Yes, and that's what people came over. My house used to be a private sanctuary. I never wanted anyone to come over because I was this private 
hermit, you know, didn't want to have any, any attention on me and my house because I'm in the public eye for my job. And my house went from being a private sanctuary to basically becoming like Grand Central Love Station. People were coming over for three straight months to scrub the bathroom floor, bring me food, walk my dog, do errands, bring over movies, sing me songs, do a dance, make me laugh. I mean, it was... I found out that every single person I thought was my friend was. I mean, who gets to find that out, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. You had a love workshop. <laughs> yes, I had a love workshop. It was basically like the universe did an intervention with the girl who was being everybody else's superhero until she collapsed and got really sick and she needed help. You know? I, And I know that... Um after your uh, first uh, breast, then you discovered you had breast again. I mean, you had cancer again, and it went yes, into your I, bone. I have had cancer three times in the past five years because, like most Asians, I am an overachiever. <laughs> One time wasn't quite good enough. It's like, give me that again. I'm going to become really great at this. But basically, I think what happened was, until you get the life lesson that you're supposed to get out of an experience, it will repeat itself. I'm sure that you know uh, women who date the same guy over and over again. He might look different, but he's the same guy because you haven't gotten the lessons that you're supposed to learn from the experience. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so that's what this feels like. It feels like uh, I was dating an abusive boyfriend named Cancer, and not quite getting the lessons I was supposed to get. And now that I feel like I'm getting the cosmic lessons, I am in partial remission, and according to my latest blood tests and PET CT scans and bone scans, I am reversing the stage four cancer. It has spread to my bones and my lymph nodes in both breasts. Uh, and, you know, that's a very dire, serious diagnosis. And because of my attitude and the holistic approach that I'm taking to my health now, a combination of Western and Eastern and alternative treatments, uh, I am shrinking uh, the tumors or they're disappearing. So I'm a walking miracle. That is so exciting. Well, you know, your message is so empowering for, for our listeners. I'm sure there's somebody out there listening that's got the same thing going in their life. And to yeah. be able to hear this, to be able to take on and and realize, you know, bring laughter to your lips, just literally, you know, change your life. Look at what you really need internally. Um, God, that is so important. Yes, and here's another statistic that I don't know if you know because it's staggering. One out of every three people in America will get cancer at some point in their lives. I mean, that, wow. that number is mind-boggling. And what it means is that there is an epidemic going on, and cancer is really just a metaphor, I believe. Everybody has some form of cancer in their life, and it is becoming a literal epidemic now. One out of every three Americans will get some form of cancer at some point in their lives. And so, to me, it's about educating myself, becoming my own advocate, empowering myself, you know, drinking purified water, showering with purified water, eating organic, vegetarian, mostly food, and 
meditating and doing acupuncture and exercising and asking for help when I need it and really being present and grateful that I'm alive and vertical and pain-free every day and truly basking in the present moment and laughing as much as possible and having great sex. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, do you have a a website with uh, suggestions for alternative health or other for other people who have cancer? You know, that is a great question, and I do have a website. It doesn't include that particular information yet, but it will because I think that is definitely a huge part of my journey is to share what I've experienced because um, it has been a fascinating journey. However, I think it's very important for people to understand that there are many different types of cancer. Even within breast cancer, there are different types. And because the mind-body-spirit connection is such a powerful part of the healing process, um, and because I know that there are people who have been cured from just Western medicine, from just Eastern medicine, from just alternative medicine, from just using a holistic approach, and there are people who have died from each of those paths, far be it for me to tell anybody what they should do and what will work for them because it's such a personal journey. It depends on what you think is going to work, what you feel in your heart is going to work, what resonates for you holistically, you know what I mean? So I can share my experiences, but I would never say this is what you should do and this will cure you of cancer because it's a very personal mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual journey that people go on towards getting better or choosing to check out of this life experience. I know I'm totally careful when, because I have had many friends with cancer, uh, not to say anything unless they ask me, you know, not oh, to give thank any... thank you, thank you, thank you. There's nothing more important than that. If I can get that message across to people. If you knew somebody who has cancer, when you have cancer, you, you feel so angry and disempowered and bewildered and sad and scared and there's all these emotions that come up. And the last thing you need is for somebody, especially people who are not even in the world of cancer research or treatment and have never had cancer themselves, come up to you and act like some sort of expert and say, you know what you should do, Suzanne, you know what you should do? There's this special kind of berry tea, and if you just drink it, you'll get better. And they, they really don't have any idea what they're talking about. They don't know where to get it. They don't have any data on it, but they're experts. You know, and that is the most infuriating thing to receive unsolicited advice. It's so it, it, it is as unwelcome as the cancer cells themselves. And I think I read it in something you wrote too about your doctors. It's important to have a doctor who will listen and and allow you to go through your journey or allow you to do alternative therapy if that's what you choose. Absolutely. I mean, one of the worst parts of the journey has has been certain Western medicine doctors who can be, of course I have found exceptions, can be egomaniacal, closed-minded, and condescending. I mean, I think it should be illegal for a doctor to tell a patient that uh, he or she has uh, X number of weeks or months to live. How how on earth do you know? How many stories have we heard about the people who say, 20 years ago, my doctor 
told me I had two weeks to live, and here I am. So how dare you say that? You don't know what this person's mind and heart and life experience are going to be. So how can you say that? That that kind of comment makes it seem like the only thing at play is the person's physical body and what's going on with it right now is going to continue. And I had one oncologist tell me that if I didn't do exactly what she said, only Western medicine, that I would die. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. I know people who have cured themselves of cancer with just Eastern and just alternative treatments uh, or with a holistic approach. And she said, I don't have any patients that that's happened for. And I said, well, of course you don't. You don't believe that that'll work. And I said, congratulations, how exciting is this? I could be your first patient who does it a different way. Think of me as the Wright brothers. Think of me as Joan of Arc. I thought that was a great thing to say, and she tilted her head and condescendingly says, no, that's not going to work. You're going to die if you do Mm. that. And I just thought, well, I'm going to be outliving you then, apparently. You know, I just, it's just incredible to me that, that there are people that, and here's part of the problem. Somebody tells me that I'm going to die because of statistics, and I think to myself, statistics are just numbers about what other people have done in the past. They have nothing to do with my present or my future. Because if I believed in statistics, I would never have been working in this town as a minority who's, you know, female and small boobs and 49 years old. I should never have had any career with those statistics, and yet I'm defying those all the time. So I don't believe in statistics. I think that that has nothing to do with my life experience if I don't want it to. Because think about it. If the Wright brothers had listened to everyone around them saying, no, that's statistically impossible. You can't invent a a thing that moves through the air. No one's ever done that before. Imagine if they had gone, oh, okay. Well, if no one's ever done that before, then we'll just, We'll stop imagining and dreaming and fantasizing and planning and inventing and building. Thank goodness there's plenty of people that don't buy into that. And the problem is that too many people think that their doctor is God. And when they are told you have two weeks to live, in exactly two weeks, guess what? They drop dead because they are so convinced that their doctor is right. Well, look, there must be, um, I I was going to say, there must, now you've written two books. Oh, I've actually written one book. I've written one book called Xi Jinping's Guide to Happy Home Buying. But it's funny, maybe it's um, sort of psychic of you to say that, because I'm in the process of writing a book about the whole cancer journey right now. Are you? Yes. wonderful. So, you know what, do you get up and I can just see, you know what, sometimes we have strange thoughts when we're in, we're sleeping and we're just waking up and we can we have these visualizations. I was going to say, you know, you must wake up getting out of bed going, oh, my gosh, that's part of a joke. <laughs> yes. Oh, I can't believe you just said that. So I apparently talk in my sleep, and I've done that on and off my whole, uh, my whole life. But recently, within the past six months, I've started – talking, not babbling, but actually talking clearly in complete sentences in my sleep. And my boyfriend 
Bill was so fascinated the first time he heard me do this because he thought it was so interesting and so funny that he started typing, taking dictation on what I was saying, and then he started recording it on audio. And apparently I write comedy bits in my subconscious mind, in my sleep. I'm writing rants and he's laughing. He's trying not to laugh too loud because he doesn't want to wake me up. But I'm writing material in my sleep, and and I also write poetry, which is completely nonlinear. And when I'm awake, I think very linearly. Apparently, when I'm asleep, I write nonlinear, fascinating, bizarre poetry. <laughs> I would say you have a recorder going 24 hours a day. <laughs> yes, I I think that it's pretty amazing that I that my boyfriend, because of his. Um, Recording what I'm saying, I'm discovering that I'm writing comedy in my sleep. <laughs> you're a multi, you're a multitasker. You sleep uh, and yes. work. <laughs> yes. So oh, that is what happens. That's, that's pretty funny. You in your book you say, and in my sleep, this is what I was saying. <laughs> yes. In fact, I have done spoken word events where people are reading their poetry, and I will read verbatim something that I said in my sleep, and people will laugh and clap like that's the best poem, having no idea that I don't even really feel like I could take credit for it. I was I was sleeping. I guess I was channeling the poem. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that. You were channeling. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like you're working around the clock no matter where you are, you know. Who knows? You might be. <laughs> oh, yes. God. Now, this is going to be a personal question, but, uh, you know, how did you meet your boyfriend? I met my boyfriend at a spoken word event where he told a really raunchy, uh, controversial, funny story. And I was with my girlfriend, Priscilla, who I hadn't seen in months. And after the spoken word event was over, it was a bunch of different uh, storytellers. I said to my girlfriend, I have to go introduce myself to him. And she said, go right ahead, because she was so freaked out by his story. (laughs) <laughs> and I went up to him and I introduced myself and I said, I'm a comedian and I like to talk about sort of um, the similar kinds of deviant topics that he talks about and I find them funny. And Anyway, he, he said, um, hey, a bunch of us are going out for drinks after the show. Would you like to join us? And I said, oh, thank you, but I haven't seen my girlfriend Priscilla in a long time. And so we're just going to go out, the two of us, you know, just someplace quiet so we can catch up. I don't want to go to some loud you know, club and with a bunch of people around. But thank you anyway, right? And four days later, he shows up in the songwriting class I've been taking for a year as a new student. You know, like the universe is going, and here he is again, that man you find so interesting and funny. And uh, we became friends, and that's how it all started. Well, I think that happens to you a lot in your life if you don't... does. There's a lot of serendipity going on in my life. And I, you know, I don't know if you read about my story about uh, the secret DVD. Yes, but I was, oh. going to, I was going to ask you to tell that story because I, I think I you are. I would to tell that story because people super, listen to it and they're like, are you serious? Did that really happen? So every word of the story is true. So here's uh, the story. In October of 2006, so that's like five and a half years ago, uh, I watched the DVD of The Secret, which, if people don't know, it's a documentary about the law of attraction and quantum physics. It's basically a very rudimentary introduction to uh, 
a law of quantum physics called the law of attraction, and it introduces certain basic spiritual principles in a way that I found that mainstream America could probably uh, digest. Uh, I had seen What the Bleep Do We Know, which I didn't think uh, really hit the sweet spot of not being over people's heads, but not being condescending either. You know what I mean? Not not being too silly and not being too difficult to understand. And so I'm watching this movie in my house, and I'm so excited about it that I'm laughing and clapping and running around my house, so excited that this documentary exists, because I already knew about the law of attraction and had been living my life this way. But the fact that there was a documentary, because I don't know if you experienced this, but I think it's really hard to get people to read a book. But you can get them to watch a movie, right? Right. Yes. So I instantly went to the secret website, and I bought 100 copies of this movie at 30 bucks a piece. So I spent $3,000 of my own money buying 100 copies to give to everybody, you know, all my family and friends and the people around me that I work with, because I just wanted to get this out there. And then I had this idea, like a voice came to me that said, send it to Oprah Winfrey. So I thought to myself, my demon voice came in and said, that's a dumb idea. She'll never get it. She gets lots of mail. You're stupid. That's a waste of time. Plus, she's probably already seen it. So don't do that. And luckily, I let my divine voice rule out the demon voice. And I said, shut up. I'm just going to do it. So I got got out, you know, my laptop, and I wrote Oprah a letter that said, dear Oprah, my name is Suzanne Huang. I've been the host of House Hunters on HGTV, and I'm a, an actor and a comedian. And uh, I recently watched this movie called The Secret, and it is a documentary about the law of attraction and quantum physics. And I said, I love this movie. And I said, I saw you interviewed on Larry King Live once, and you were talking about how you had just read Marianne Williamson's book, A Return to Love. And you loved that book so much, you bought a thousand copies of it and gave it to everybody that you love. Well, I'm doing the same thing on a smaller scale with this movie. And it is the way that I live my life. I believe it's the way you live your life. My dream is that you will watch it, you will love it, and you will do a show about it. And I ended the letter, blessings, because I like to make up words, and blessings are even better than blessings. So I wrote blessings, Suzanne Long. <laughs> and I sent it off to her, to Harpo Studios. Okay, so, um, and I forgot about it. You know, just send it off there and and bless it and then go on with your life. So that's what I did. A month and a half later, it's now December 2006, I'm in my car and my cell phone rings and I don't recognize the number, in which case I never answer my phone because, you know, uh, who knows who that could be. It could be somebody I don't want to talk to. It could be a fan who got my number. It could be, you know, AT&T trying to get me to switch or something like that. So, but a little voice came in and said, you're going to want to pick up this call. Pick it up, pick it up. So I picked it up, and I hear this. Hi, Suzanne, this is Olivia at Oprah Winfrey's office. Oh. And I, I, I almost got into a car accident. I almost drove like an Asian. I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> so I pull over, and I say, oh, oh my God, Libby. I never answer the phone when I don't recognize the number, but uh, uh, my instinct told me to answer. And she said, well, I'm about to tell you why. She said, Suzanne, I never call anyone who sends things to Carpo Studios. If you had any idea of the sheer volume 
of mail we get here, you'd know that I never, I never have time to call anybody who uh, sends anything here. But I had to call you because last night my friend dragged me to his house and forced me to watch this movie called The Secret. I had never seen it before. I loved it. I come into work the next morning, that's this morning, and your package that has been going through our system for a month and a half is at the top of the stack of mail on my desk. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. And she said, you know, because that's divine timing. If, if she had watched the movie before this, way after it, it's not the same thing as watching it the night before, coming into work the next morning, and my package is at the top of the stack of mail on her desk. And it had been going through the system over at Harpo for a month and a half. It had even got put in the VIP section of mail because I'm a television host, and I had sent it via Federal Express instead of regular mail, and even with those circumstances, it took a month and a half to get on anybody's desk over there. So she tells me that Oprah has not seen this movie yet, which is also astonishing because the movie had been out and available to watch for one year. What do you mean Oprah Winfrey hasn't seen the secret about the law of attraction when it's been out for one year? And it occurred to me that perhaps the reason that no one had sent it to her is because everyone listened to their voice that said she's probably already seen it or she'll never get it if you send it to her, don't bother. So thank goodness I sent it to her anyway, right? So yeah. she says, now we're about to go to South Africa for six weeks because we go to South Africa every December for six weeks to, you know, visit the school that Oprah has opened up. And, and I'm going to bring the DVD with us and make sure she watches it. And I said, that's great, Wendy, thank you. Um, I'll check back with you in six weeks. And I hung up the phone and my car basically levitated the rest of the way to where <laughs> I was going because I just couldn't believe that chain of events. So six weeks later, I um, I have written in my date book that the next morning I'm going to call Lizzie to follow up, and I'm having uh, I'm waiting for my friend Lucinda to have tea with me at an outdoor coffee shop in Los Angeles, and she's running late, so I'm sitting at a table for two by myself waiting for my friend, and a man who's about 30 feet away at a table full of his friends looks at me, gets up, walks over to my table, pulls out the chair, the other chair at the table, sits down and says, hello, how are you? And I said, I'm blissful, how are you? And he says, following my bliss, which bought him about 10 more seconds because, you know, that's a good answer. So then he says to me, have you ever seen the movie The Secret? And I said, what? Um, (laughs) Not only have I seen it, but I'm the first person to send it to Oprah Winfrey, and before I can finish my sentence, he jumps up from the table and starts running around, flailing his arms around, going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I say, what's going on with you? And he says, do you know Oprah's doing a show about the secret in two weeks? And I said, no, I didn't know that. How do you know that? And he says, I go to Agape International Spiritual Center in Culver City, California, and Reverend Michael Beckwith, who runs the Agape Spiritual Center, who was in the secret, announced to the congregation on Sunday that in two weeks he's flying to Chicago to do an Oprah episode about the secret because he was one of the people interviewed on it. And I said, oh, my God. So I said, I have to call, you know, call right now. And then I realized, oh, it's 6 o'clock L.A. time, so it's 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock Chicago time. So they're closed. So I just, I'll wait till tomorrow to call Libby. And then I look at him and I say, wait a minute. 
why did you come over here, sit down, introduce yourself, and then ask me if I've seen a secret? And he says, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, what? So he was just following his divine impulse, whispered to him, go over, talk to that woman, ask her if she's seen the secret. So he tells me this. And then he brings all of his friends over, and then my friend Lucinda shows up, and it turns out that we all end up talking about spiritual principles and the law of attraction all night long. It was just magnificent. So the next morning, I call Libby, and she's not there. She doesn't answer, so I leave a message saying, Libby, it's Suzanne Huang. I'm so excited. I hear you're doing a show about The Secret. I would love to come and be in the studio audience. Please, I, I have to be there for this momentous occasion, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you, and have a great day. And then I forgot about that phone call, and I went to the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah for the first time ever. I go to that film festival. I come back, and I realize that it's now January 29th, 2007. It's Monday, January 29th, and the taping of the Oprah Secret episode is Wednesday, January 31st. So it is now two days before this taping, and I haven't heard back from Libby. Now, luckily, I've read The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, and one of the four agreements that he lists about how to live your life well is don't take anything personally. Because I could have thought, Libby is a bitch, and she hates me, and I hate her guts, and she doesn't want me to come, and wah. I could have done that, right? But then I thought to myself, no, no, she's really busy. She works for Oprah. She's busy. It's not that she doesn't want you to come. It's just that she's overwhelmed with stuff to do. So I'm sitting there going, okay. What's my next step? What's my next step? And then a voice says to me, just go. Meaning, just go to Chicago. Just go to Chicago. And I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> now, this is the first time ever that I would go somewhere, fly across the country, and to attend something that I'm not invited to. I have not been given a ticket, no invitation. So I, got, I get online and I go to JetBlue.com, right, because... I'm thinking, I need a cheap flight. Let's see if that's JetBlue. It turns out that JetBlue has just opened a terminal at Chicago's O'Hare Airport. Just two weeks before this moment, they just opened a terminal. So the night before, I get a round-trip ticket from L.A. to Chicago for $400. You know, that would normally be what? Two grand, yeah. right? Especially Last minute two days before, to fly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, one day before, because I have to fly Tuesday because the taping's Wednesday. So I booked the flight. I'm thinking, this is great. But I'm thinking, okay, where am I going to stay? I haven't been to Chicago in 20 years. I don't know the hotels there. Where will I stay? And then I remember I've been watching Oprah my whole life. And at the end of every Oprah episode, she used to do a voiceover promo saying, guests of the Oprah Winfrey show stay at the Omni Hotel. And I'm thinking, Omni Hotel. Yay, it must be close by. It must be nice. I'm not a guest of the Oprah Winfrey show, but I'm going to treat myself like one. So I book myself a room at the Omni Hotel. And I'm all set. I'm all excited. And then I leave Libby a new message saying, Libby, it's Suzanne Huang again. Listen, you don't have to arrange anything. You don't have to pay for anything. I just need a seat for my little yellow ass to sit in at the taping. I'm going to use the law of attraction to put into the universe and manifest that you will provide that for me. Thank you very much. Right? So the next day, I'm on my way to the airport, and my cell phone rings again, and it says Oprah Winfrey's office because I'm not stupid. I plug that into my phone, and I answer, hello, and I hear, 
Hi, Suzanne. My name is Terry, and I'm the producer of the Oprah episode of The Secret. And um, I got your information from Libby, and we would be honored to have you join us. We, of course, have a seat reserved for you. And I started to well up, and I said, that's a good thing, Terry, because I'm on my way to the airport. <laughs> and I was thinking, if I don't hear from them, I was just going to go to Harpo Studios and take off all my clothes and set my hair on fire and sing the Star Spangled Banner through a megaphone, anything to get their attention, because there was no way I wasn't going to get in to that taping. But now, luckily, I didn't have to do any of those things. So I'm all excited. I get on the plane. I get to Chicago's O'Hare Airport. I take a cab to the Omni Hotel, and I am standing in line at the front desk to check into the Omni Hotel on Tuesday night, and I realize that I'm standing directly behind Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, and he's in The Secret, and I go, oh, you're Jack Canfield from The Secret. <laughs> and I just blurted out like a crazy person. And he turns around, and he's so nice. And he says, yes, hello. And I say, hi, my name is Suzanne Wong, and I'm the first person to send um, the secret to Oprah. And he says, oh, my God, Suzanne, you're the reason why we're all here. And I said, I know. <laughs> and then he introduces me to his wife, Inga, who he raved about in The Secret. So I said, oh, this is your wife, Inga, who you gushed about in The Secret. And she said yes, and they're both glowing, and they're so nice. And then I got to tell them both that, have you guys read Chicken Soup for the Soul? A long yeah. time ago, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, a long time ago when it first came out, right? Now they have all these different versions like Chicken Soup for the Dental Assistant. But I'm talking about the very first Chicken Soup for the Soul book. I got to tell them, and if people don't know, it's a, it's a collection of very short, like one-page, true inspirational stories that make you feel good and, you know, make you think, make you cry, make you laugh, you know, inspire you. So I told him that I'm on an airplane back when the first Chicken Soup for the Soul came out. I'm on an airplane reading this book. And there was one particular story about a little boy who had gone to a pet store to buy a puppy, and he points to a particular puppy and says, how much for this puppy? And the pet store owner says, oh, you can have that one for free. That puppy has a crippled leg. It's useless. Just take that one for free. And the little boy gets very mad and says, no, I want to pay full price for that puppy. What's full price? And the pet store owner tells him, and the little boy goes off and saves up the money and comes back and buys that puppy. And the pet store owner, as the little boy is leaving, says, okay, but can I just ask you, why would you want that puppy? That puppy has a gimped leg. Why would you want that one? And the little boy slowly raises his pant leg and reveals he has a prosthetic leg. And he's holding the puppy saying, I want this puppy to be raised by somebody who understands him. And mm -hmm. I'm on the airplane and I'm burst in the tears. I'm like, oh, my God. That's so beautiful. <laughs> And I'm, I'm such a sap, right? So I'm bawling. And I tap the guy next to me on the shoulder. And he's wearing a three-piece suit, and he looks very uptight. And I'm like, you have to read this story. And he looks at me like, get away from me, you crazy bitch. And I say, no, it's only one page. You have to read it. And so I think just to get me to leave him alone, because he was trapped in this airplane next to me, he takes the book, he reads the stories, just one page, he gets to the bottom of it, and he bursts into tears. He's like, ah. So we pass the book all the way down the row of like nine people in our row, and every single person reads the story and starts bawling. And I get to tell Jack Canfield and his wife, Inga, this story, and it was just so great. They were like, oh, my God, that's so great. I love that. And, and he was like, well, good night. Nice to meet you. See you tomorrow at the taping. So I get into my 
suite. By the way, they've upgraded me to a suite at the Omni Hotel for no apparent reason. So I walk into my suite, and I'm so tired, and I can't wait to change into pajamas and order room service dinner and go to sleep because it's an early morning taping. And then the voice comes in again and says, go to the hotel phone, ask for Jack Canfield's room, and see what he and Inga are doing for dinner tonight. And I say, for the first time, I say to my voice, no, I'm not doing that. Shut up. That's a bad idea. I just had a perfect conversation with them. I don't want to be imposing on them, and, you know, that's, that's too much. So, no, I'm not doing that. And the voice says, shut up and do it. Go pick up the phone and do it. And basically the gauntlet has been thrown down and my heart is pounding. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I have to do this and I don't want to do this. And I was really upset. So I go to the hotel phone. I ask for Jack Canfield, hoping that he's, you know, checked in under an alias and I can't get through. And they put me right through and it rings and he picks up the phone. Hello. And I say, hi, Jack, this is Suzanne Huang. We just met in the lobby. And he says, yes, we did, very nicely. And I said, listen, I know it's a long shot, but what are you and Inga doing for dinner tonight? And he says, well, Suzanne, all of the panelists from The Secret were all getting together in the hotel restaurant at 7 p.m. Why don't you join us? It would be our honor. And I went, oh, okay, thanks, bye. And I hang up thinking, oh, my God. So I got to have dinner with Reverend Michael Beckwith and James Ray and Lisa Nichols and Jack Canfield and all of their people. And what was great was there was a rectangular table for 12 reserved for them, and there were 11 people in their party. I mean, come on, you guys. There was an empty seat just for me. I was meant to be there. I became friends with Reverend Michael Beckwith from Agape. He ended up having me come and do spiritual stand-up comedy at Agape Revelations Conference in Washington, D.C. for a 1,000 people in his congregation, which began my whole journey with spiritual. He said, will you do spiritual stand-up comedy in May in D.C. for me? And I said, sure, thinking, spiritual stand-up comedy, but I just said yes, and I'm like, I'll figure it out, and I thought, well, I'm spiritual, and I'm a stand-up comedian. I had never merged those things. I'd never found the humor in the spiritual path, and so I just wrote material, and it was one of the best nights of my life. Anyway, I had a great dinner with everybody, and by the way, of course, Jack Canfield, and they're all staying at the Omni Hotel because guests of the Oprah Winfrey show stay at the Omni Hotel. It just didn't occur to me at that point. I just needed a place for me to stay. So the next morning, I get to the lobby to take a cab over to Harpo, and they're in the lobby at the same time getting into their stretch limos. And so I say, oh, is there any empty seat in any of the limos? There's one empty seat in one of the limos. And they go, get in here, Suzanne. So now I'm with my new best friends in a stretch limo going to Harpo Studios. I go to the taping. They ha she puts me up in the front, in the center, and I watch the show. It's magnificent. And then after the show... She did an Oprah after the show on the Oxygen Network where she continues the conversation informally with the audience for half an hour. So during that part of the show, I raise my hand and I tell the story to Oprah, and she confirms that I was the first person to get it into her hands. She had never seen it. And she said that when Libby put it in her hands that day, she was walking around the office holding it, and six different people stopped her and said, oh, my God, you have to watch that. It's amazing. So she went home that night and watched it. She didn't even wait until the South Africa trip. She went home that night and watched it. So um, after that taping of Oprah, after the show was over, she had the panelists from The Secret get up on stage to do photos with her. 
you know, before everybody went their separate ways. And I, I raised my hand and I said, Oprah, can I have my picture taken with you? And she goes, get up here, Suzanne. So now I'm having my picture taken with Oprah. They, the photographer takes the picture and says that he'll send it, you know, he'll mail it to me. And it is not until I'm on the plane from Chicago back to L.A. that I remember that four months prior to this moment, I had cut out a photo of me and scotch taped it next to a photo of Oprah and put it in my magical creation box where I put things I want to manifest. And now I have a real photo of me and Oprah in a frame hanging on my living room wall. And to me, the reason that this story is is so wonderful is because it's proof that what Mother Teresa said is true. She said, we cannot do great things. We can only do small things with great love. And it is a small gesture to take a DVD and write a letter and put it in the mail to someone. But I did it with so much passion and so much good intention of having it help the world. And look what happened. The ripple effect has been amazing. Yeah, and all the people who watched Oprah, which are thousands. I know, who watched Oprah, who now know about, you know, who have now gotten an introduction to a spiritual principle and a different way of thinking about life. I mean, and every word of that story is true. And I would call you a super manifester. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so then, you know, I became friends with Reverend Michael Beckwith, and now I'm friends with Esther Hicks, and it it created a ripple effect for me. I'm friends with Marianne Williamson. Uh, You know, I mean, truly, I have magnificent people in my circle now. Well, Suzanne, um, one of our listeners called in, and I just need to make it clear that, you know, one of them took offense with one of the remarks you said about Asians, and I don't think they realize that you are Asian yourself. And, um, you know, it's we need just apologize to them because, <laughs> be, I mean, they, they they didn't realize that you're perhaps an Asian and that you were just, you know, poking fun at, at what your comment was. Well, here, well, here's the thing. I believe that we we choose how we react things and I believe that we give we give uh, abuse power by fighting it or resisting it or choosing to be offended and I believe that I can find humor in anything and I also believe that you know I used to be called a chink and a, a jap and a gook and uh, to me we give words power by banning them if you understand anything about the principles of quantum physics whatever you resist persists so if you are fighting against or banning something, you're actually giving it more power. So I started to take the word gook, which is the derogatory term for a Korean, and I decided to start overusing it to take the charge out of it and desensitize myself to it, right? And so I got my friends to say, what's up, my gook? And I would sign my emails, yours gookly or in gooks we trust. And I have a T-shirt that says got gook, and my friend who admires me calls me her gookru. And now that word just sounds funny to me, and it doesn't have the power to hurt me anymore. I can't control what other people say or do, but I can control how I respond. So a great thing that I learned in 12-step programs is let go and let God. And instead of fighting against, I can release. I can release. I can embrace my health. And, you know, I understand everybody has their reaction. And to me, it's, it's satire and it's using humor to heal. That's, that's what I'm about. So I know that I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I know that people don't think that there's anything funny about cancer either. They don't think that I should ever say anything and make 
light of cancer, but to me, it's part of my healing. When we are laughing, we are in the present moment, and it boosts our immune system. I believe it breaks down people's defenses, and it levels the playing field, and it gets us in the present moment, and and it really has been an integral part of my healing. So, well, we'll have, we'll have to thank that uh, caller for opening up a new conversation. Yes, I, I embrace the new conversation, absolutely. Um, I liked your, your joke about, you said, you always, I mean, several clips I've seen you in, you said, I'm Korean, and I'm a good driver. <laughs> yes, I'm an excellent driver. There's nothing worse than being on the freeway in Los Angeles and seeing somebody drive terribly. And I can't help it. Sometimes I'll pull up next to the person and look in the car, and it's an Asian. And I'm thinking, no, no, you're ruining it for all of us. Stop perpetuating the stereotype. So I'm out there doing what I can at being a good driver. That's part of my <laughs> part of my mission on the planet. Get out there and be a good driver. Well, this is not a very spiritual question at all, but my <laughs> husband wanted me to ask you, how was it to uh, work with Charlie Sheen? Oh, well, it was actually incredible working with Charlie Sheen, and I'm actually glad that the question was asked because, you know, I think that he has an addiction and he has a problem, and I think that's really tragic because he couldn't have been more kind and gracious and talented and uh, respectful on the set when I worked with him. So it was absolutely wonderful working with him. So I wish him nothing but healing and serenity and whatever he needs to um, move forward and onward in his life. Well, I'm glad I asked that. Yeah, I do. Well, we... Got to see you in action for almost 12 hours <laughs> when we were in Los Angeles. And oh, I yeah, have... wasn't that an amazing event? Uh, the Global Alliance for Transformational Entertainment was founded by uh, John Ross, Eckhart Tolle, and Jim Carrey. Who knew those two were friends? Eckhart Tolle and Jim Carrey? Wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was amazing. I wanted to say what you're just a natural. I mean, it's just like... You just feel you're just so comfortable up on the stage, and and we really enjoyed being able to uh, be involved in that and see you in action. Well, thank you, thank you very much. I I was well, uh, honored to be part of it. Well, you know, inspiring others. I mean, that's what you do, literally, to take hold of their lives and look at it in a in a, in an empowering way, and um, a humorous allowing- way. Yeah, but it's allowing that person to do introspection and, uh, you know, how they want to run their lives and how they want to support others. And, um, you know, that's what that organization gate was all about, supporting humanity for for new um, ways to to look at life. And so you were, you were such a great inspiration and uh, and continue to be, and we thank you. Uh, thank you for you. sharing your sh- thank you for sharing your stories with us. It was wonderful. My pleasure, and I hope you guys have a blissful day. We will, and you too. Yeah, you too. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Well, 
I just want to let people know you're listening to 91.5 FM, KKUP Cupertino, and uh, Cupertino is an all-volunteer community-sponsored radio station uh, providing musical, uh, informational, and educational alternatives to our listeners um, out there. And um, we bring awareness of community and international affairs. Our programming here is 100% sponsored by our listeners, and we are totally commercial-free. And, um, you know, we have wonderful, talented people that are able to share their lives with with everyone, and it's it's very exciting. And you get to hear music and talk shows that you do would not hear anywhere else, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so, for uh, contributing to the KKUP. Oh, yes. Paula, what do we have up next here? Okay, we have By the a, way, we're on for another hour. <laughs> well, we have a 50-minute um, show. It would be James Gilligan, Gilliland from oh, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So I'll start it up. Okay, and... Uh, Love Talk Radio. Sorry. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet Airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, everyone. Our guest, James Gilliland, owns ECD, a ranch on Hood River in the state of Washington, where there are frequent sightings of plasma ships, light anomalies and morphines, and military activities. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Well, Paula, James is always on the cutting edge, as we know, and I can hardly wait to get this interview rolling. James frequently appears on several radio programs, including Coast to Coast AM, Jeff Wren's Sightings, and The Laura Lee Show. He has been a speaker at many events and has appeared on a wide variety of TV shows, such as the History Channel's uh, UFOs, then and now, as well as ABC and Fox News. And in addition, his articles and UFO reports have been featured in such magazines as Magical Blend and UFO Magazine, as well as several high-profile alternative websites. Paula, could you please tell us briefly about some of the highlights we'll be touching upon uh, with James today? Yes, James. Um, James is saying that Mother Earth is groaning big time. And I've been hearing about this myself from uh, all different directions. He'll also be sharing how how reference points taints our views and add fear to messy 
is on high. For instance, our local news. And he just returned from Mexico and has much to share with us about that. James, welcome. We can hardly wait to hear about your travels and adventures and what you have to say. Oh, great to be on the show again. <laughs> what about this? Um, our Mother Earth groaning? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure you have those up on your website, but uh, it's amazing. This is happening around the world, and it's very eerie. And the first time I became aware of it was in uh, this Tibetan spirit cave, and I was sent some information about that, and, and they, they asked me, what is this? What? Is, and they've never heard it before, and they use that cave a lot of times for meditation and ceremony, and all of a sudden they started hearing these loud... Uh, uh, it's, it almost sounds like a loud groan with followed by, uh, I can't even explain it, uh, something from space or something. That, you know, it, it kind of echoes like, like you're in a submarine or something like that. Some really strange uh, uh, vibrations and sounds were coming from this cave. And then it es- escalated, and it started happening over in Russia. It started happening, you know, all around the world. And now... Uh, recently, they're picking it up uh, just globally, you know, in all kinds of different places, and people are hearing it, you know, everywhere from Florida to, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, was it Portugal, like all these different places, uh, you know, Russia, the Czech Republic there is having all kinds of, of crazy groaning, really loud, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I can go on and on at all the different places, but... I sent a link, and people can look and listen to the, the sounds that the Earth is making. And one interesting thing is that a lot of people are saying that's the uh, underground uh, bases being created. Uh, supposedly, most of the major underground bases were taken out by uh, some Andromedans that came in and said, okay, and you guys aren't going to destroy the planet and go under and hang out there and wait for and come back up, you know, after everything's done, you're going to have to join, you know, the people of which you have been terrorizing and, and uh, yeah, you know, poisoning. Fair. Yeah, poisoning with the chemtrails and all the other crazy harp technologies that are going on. You know, you're going to have to deal with that, you know, one-on-one with the very people you're doing it to. So I thought that was interesting. But, you know, that doesn't make sense because that is usually like a hum, uh, a low hum is what people hear when when those tunnelers, those um, they're like nuclear uh, powered tunnelers that that create these tunnels, and you know there's a lot of if you if you, uh, you know go on the net you can actually type in you know uh, nuclear powered uh, tunnel tunnel machines or tunnel diggers or whatever and you can see all kinds of pictures of them with the Air Force logo on them, but uh, you know and then other people are saying it's HARP. And uh, that could be a possibility, but um, usually you don't really hear harp when it's doing its thing. It's it's actually uh, pulsing on a very very low frequency. Unless you have a uh, like a shortwave radio, you can hear when it's when it's going on. It's like a woodpecker, you know. Uh, the uh, the Russians actually call it woodpecker. You know that's their their version of it. So it doesn't sound like harp. Now, the one thing that, that I feel that I got a real strong hit on is in these ancient Sumerian texts, and my brother talked to me about it. He said that in the last days, the earth was groaning, 
and it was getting so loud that they couldn't stand it, and and they pretty much hopped on their the Anunnaki hopped on their ships and took off basically. So uh, when you read these ancient Sumerian texts and it talks about these times that we're going into, and you look at the Mayan calendar, the you know the Aztec calendar, the Egyptian calendar, everything is pointing towards a major shift happening, you know, during this time. And uh, and that's my gut feeling is that it's the Earth itself uh, groaning, you know, as it's adjusting to these new energies and adjusting to the the pulls of uh, the galactic core or the huge magnetic wave. Some people call it the noodle. You know, the Japanese princess calls it, you know, the noodle. <laughs> uh, but it's this huge magnetic wave that we're we're you know, getting closer to and going to be moving through. I was kind of wondering whether it was a simultaneous thing, you know, that it was happening simultaneously all over in these areas at the same time. It's kind of hard to find out if that if that really is the case because of the, you know, the, the YouTubes and people are mm-hmm. take, taking them at different times. But I wonder if it's a simultaneous thing all over the earth. Well, it seems to be all happening in the second week of January. And uh, which is, uh, that's what they all say. So it is, you know, probably I would say it is probably close to simultaneous or within two or three days. It could be like a wave going through, too. Yeah, yeah, a major wave. Uh, You know, there's so many different possibilities. I know that the higher beings can can actually generate that kind of energy and and create... um, shifts, you know, in consciousness and energy and work with the grids and things like that. But I think this is something much bigger. So do you hear it at the ranch? You know, I we hear um, all kinds of things. We hear these low pulsing noises that are the, the motherships. You can hear some of these huge motherships, and they sound like a cat purring in space. I actually have the, the uh, soundtrack for that. Uh, from a ship that was actually hovering over Portland State University. And we hear those a lot, and then we hear the high-pitched ringing, and uh, it's like a it's like a ring upon a ring upon a ring, like a multi, multi-wave, like oscillating. It's really interesting. And those are usually the Palladian ships when they're, they're around. So a lot of times people will be walking, all of a sudden they get this loud, high-pitched ringing in their ears. And and a lot of times that's communication. It's it's subconscious communication, you know, going straight into your subconscious. Now you you just mentioned uh, a mothership in Portland. Did other people see it? I mean, how many people saw it? Well, it was on the news actually. Oh. Uh, I, I thought that was interesting because it was on the news. Some other people saw it and filmed it, and we have some footage of the ship, and and it's actually pulsing right along with the sound. So so the, the light pulse on the ship is matching the sound that we have coming wow. from the ship. It's interesting that we're just, <laughs> we California is actually very close to Oregon, right uh-huh. you know, next door neighbor, and we don't even hear about it. Yeah, we're right, uh, actually we're in Washington State, we're right on the border of Oregon. And, but uh, I mean, when another ship, was in Oregon, I mean, in Portland. Yeah, you know, it was on the local news, and then what happens here is they kill it. I mean, I've been on, 
on uh, Coin6, which is the local channel here. It's like, uh, I think it's ABC. I'm not sure, but, and, and uh, Fox News has come out and done things here. Uh, you know, ABC, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, you know, History Channel's been out here. Um, I was just in the movie Thrive. But uh, unfortunately, I w went down and did two days of interview uh, with them for the movie Thrive, and and uh, and basically they just kind of narrated over me and had me holding this torsion bubble, you know. But uh, uh, and you know what what's kind of sad about that is everybody. I was walking down the beach in Mexico, and all these people were coming up to me. Go, Are you James Gill? Yeah, I saw you in Thrive. I saw you in Thrive, and. Uh, uh, you know, all I'm doing basically is holding this torsion field, this bubble, you know, with a little narration going over me. So I don't know. I, I that that kind of saddened me a little bit that uh, they really didn't get the message out. You know that, uh, you know, Foster told me that that was who uh, who was the main narrator there. He said, you know, this was the most powerful, succinct message that we've had. You know, out of all the people we've interviewed, but it's it's kind of on file. I hope they do a thrive too and then put that in there. Uh, or, or make it available on the website would be great. But uh, yeah, like I mean, outtakes. Yeah, because I'm getting messages like just slam with messages saying, "Hey, um, where's your story?" You know, they they were you know you didn't even get to talk about what's going down, and and uh, I thought that was interesting. But but you know, sometimes you just don't have control over those things. Yeah, it would be great if they could do some out outtakes of. And then yeah, send them an email. You know, send them an yeah, email and say, hey, <laughs> how about putting James's website up on your site and, and some outtakes or something, you know, but uh yeah. great. Well, you know, yesterday I was so lucky to be able to make a connection with you, and uh, you were just coming back from Mexico, uh -huh. and um, you said a lot of uh, interesting things took place, and so oh, here yeah. are some of those things. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, the first, the first uh, three days I was there, I, you know, I got the uh, some crazy stuff went on because they did some really thick chemtrailing there. By and and uh, right when I got there, there was some major chemtrailing, and the whole town started getting sick. And then on top of that, I I you know ate one of those infamous tacos where the where the you know the greens weren't washed right or whatever and, and uh so I got the double whammy and was down for about 3 days. I mean just uh, I don't even go into details cuz it's not a pretty picture. But what happens when you go through that, you know, all of a sudden you start having these visions, you know, especially when you're fasting for 3 or 4 days. And um and so a lot of things happened. One, I had this vision of these bulls, two just massive bulls, massive horns um coming running down the beach just like kicking everybody off the beach and and people weren't the ones that weren't paying attention really got hammered you know and some people were paying attention and they got out of the way um and it was quite interesting and i know in ancient times you know the horns always represented a very high degree of spirituality and an extreme power some a lot of power uh you know they had all pictures of even Moses with horns on him, you know, in the past, and, and all all of the uh, ancient pharaohs and, and uh, you know, the Hathors and everybody always had, like, a, a horned headdress, and it ties into that, and so that vision there was showing me pretty clearly that, um, that something big, you know, a very big event is coming, 
and we need to pay attention to it. And if you're not paying attention, uh, you might be caught unaware, you know, and, and have an experience that might not be beneficial. The the other thing is I got I, I got some really clear guidance from the Pleiadians. I was meditating, and they came in, and I said, well, what? You know, they've been talking very cryptic, and, and I was talking with Jerry Wills. I had him on my radio show, and uh, he was talking to him, and he, and he said, you know, they're being very cryptic. And it was interesting. We're both getting the same thing, and he's had, you know, same as I have. He's had physical face-to-face contacts and, and things, and they're very careful about not interfering with free will and our destiny here and our evolution. So, But they do want to help, and they are helping at the same time. But I said, you know what they told me? It's going to be like a snake shedding its skin. And it got real quiet, you know, <laughs> like a little dead space on air. And he goes, he goes, that's exactly what they told me. He said they, they used the exact same words. And they're completely different contexts, different people, different beings, but they are Palladians, supposedly. So so uh, uh, I think that's quite interesting, you know, what's what's coming. But uh, those are the two major things. And then I did a talk down there and showed people, you know, all the photographs of the feline beings that are appearing here. We have 14-foot-tall feline beings coming in Uh We've had Kazekiel appear here, which is one of my main teachers and guide, and Kuan Yin and Mary, and and actually getting photographs of them actually appearing over groups. Uh, you know, we were doing the self mastery classes, and a uh, a monk from Japan actually was here, and he took the photographs and and just amazing pictures. But uh, uh, it's it's getting really interesting. This the way everything's unfolding right now. Uh, it just seems all the veils are coming down. The, the people that have been doing their spiritual homework are, are really getting clear and starting to see all kinds of, of beings and apparitions and having contacts. And also, too, as I showed you in that Cypress footage uh, I sent, sent to you, that just amazing sightings are happening around the world. Uh, oh, and, and to top it off here, this is, what, this is one of the grand finales there is that while I was in Mexico, motherships were sighted over uh, Tijuana, over Mexico City, over Guadalajara. Uh, You know, amazing sightings, and they're all over YouTube. And right after the talk, uh, they had um, a little birthday party for a really good friend of mine, Gary, who is really adept at the Mayan calendar and, and what's going on and all the planetary alignments and everything. And so we were down there talking at the beach, and um, I turned around and I went back up to the house where I was staying, and while they were on the beach, two, uh, there was two different people, two different groups saw this beautiful blue-green ship come in and flew underneath the clouds and flew right down in front of them, powered up, lit the whole sky up, and then turned and went up and out. So, mm. so, so right there in Sayulita, the same night I gave the talk, there was a, a beautiful sighting, you know, by the people that were there at the talk. Oh wow! Wow. How do you, do you believe that um, because of the group of people that were there, uh, because of maybe your energy or whatever, is invited the ships in? Yeah, exactly. What happens is the same thing happens when people come to the ranch. They're not really aware of what's going on, and, and when they learn who they are and, and about the ships, and then the ships appear to them, uh, they leave the ranch, and all of a sudden they just start seeing ships everywhere. 
And and so once the opening is made and the information is there, and I have, I have two theories about that. One, I know I'm getting a lot of assistance, and they're doing like dazzle duty and, and letting people know this is real. Uh, but also, too, you know, it's, it's a proven fact that we do see with our brain. And, and our brain chooses out of billions of bits of information what is going to be our reality. And so maybe by making this a possibility or telling people this reality is going on, it just may open the door for people to actually have that experience. Now, uh, visitors that come to your ranch, um, like a skeptic, could they stop the visit? I mean, has that ever happened because of their skepticism? They they will. Sometimes you get some people with a really bad attitude out there. Uh, usually the group consciousness overwhelms that, and uh, and then they have to deal with their attitude, and the ships still do come in. Uh, the As far as the, the one-on-one interaction and the telepathic interaction, and there's always a spiritual connection to this when people see the ships, uh, that can get diminished by people with bad attitudes and uh, because they they kind of infect the group. I hate to say it, but, you know, they'll, they'll make some really rude statements or say, oh, that's just a satellite, you know, this is all nonsense and everything. And then they get people kind of riled up, and when you're riled up and, and in that state of consciousness, it's harder to to stay focused and, and maintain, you know, the group consciousness nexus, necessary to really have a, a, a really nice exchange. So if somebody wanted to visit your ranch, um, do you wait till you have a group together that come in at once, or can somebody just come in by themselves? Yeah, right now nobody's getting in because we just got married. <laughs> yeah, we... I mean, I walked outside and I opened the door, and it's almost waist deep right now in snow. And that all happened last night. Yeah, uh, I heard that on the so, news. Yeah, I can't even. I can't plow it. It's it. There's too much. My tractor can't. It just can't get through it. So, we're calling out for somebody to come in and help us. We have. We know some people with some really big equipment that can come in and and open up the driveway. But uh, yeah, it's quite a dump. And I I think we might be buried probably till I would say. You know, first of May or end of April, we'll probably be opening up again. Yeah, but people just hear, call. You know, call and come up if you want to, or you can get on the newsletter. You know, if you go to eSETI.org, you can get on the newsletter, and we'll let you know when we're going to be doing workshops and classes and things of that nature. Well, I, you know, you were lucky to get in last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it's quite a mess. Most of my cars here all have uh, four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, so I can usually get in. But uh, it's now, after last night, uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, I can probably blast through it with my truck, but uh, put it in four-wheel drive and just <laughs> floor it. You know, uh, but I, uh, I have a feeling. I have a feeling we're going to have a late winter. Yeah, I do too. That's what I think is going on, and. You know, I don't know if people have been watching the news, but uh, I think uh, Russia got something like 18 feet in, in a day or a day and a half or something. And uh, Nome, Alaska is just totally buried. They they have no fuel. They can't get in and out. Uh, actually, the Coast Guard, I think, is, is either, I don't know how they're getting fuel into people, but they're, somehow the Coast Guard is involved on, on just getting fuel, you know, so people can keep their, their houses, yeah. you know, yeah. and our vehicles going. I, I heard that they had to help a ship go in to get yeah. the fuel. Yeah, and then uh, 
you know, well, I, I just saw a thing on the news where Japan, it looked like, you know, six foot, six feet of snow, according to one of the pictures I looked at. I don't know if that was a drift or not, but it showed these guys digging out this little old lady, and she's looking out her window, and, and <laughs> it goes all the way up to the roof. <laughs> so, uh, well, well, we're praying for, uh, in Northern California, we're praying for some snow, because all this, the ski uh-huh. runs have no snow. Really? I mean, well, whatever is coming up, it looks like it's going to be hitting you guys harder than us. Well, it's cold here. Yeah, it so might need, just be need... raining more because it's not—it's not a real cold front coming through. Uh, you well, know, we, here we, it's just uh... bordering on on between thirty-two and thirty-four, and it goes—it's going back and forth between sleet and snow. So you might—you well, might be were, having we more trouble. Huh? We were twenty-nine degrees last night. Wow. Probably even colder than you. <laughs> yeah, that's strange. <laughs> yeah. But there's been so the, the clouds are coming in. So hopefully they bring some rain or snow. Yeah. Well, they they said this severe weather watch was for today and tomorrow, uh, and then it's I think supposed to clear up around Thursday or something like that, or and might turn to rain, which is going to be a real mess if that happens. Well, talking about weather, um, do you see weather changes coming to us? I mean, it's already uh, happening. I mean, yeah, weird. yeah. Basically, you know, we've you know what's funny in the books, uh, uh, reading with stars and becoming gods. Uh, we talked about this all the way back in 1982, and we gave all this information about the increased solar activity, the expanding sun, uh, what was going to happen. There was going to be an increase, a steady increase in earthquake and volcanic activity, and severe weather, just crazy erratic weather, and uh, all these things are unfolding. Uh, right now, it's it, it's pretty undeniable. I mean, there's still people in denial. I'm, I'm, you wouldn't believe the emails I get, you know. But uh, they go, well, you're creating fear, you know. You're a doom and gloomer. And I said, no. I said, uh, it's not prophecy anymore. It's called statistics, you know. <laughs> Look, it's science, you know. It, it's not, uh, and and you know, it's just a cycle. And if people want to get into fear around it, and 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 want to just think the status quo is going to continue the way it is and and get angry at anybody that tells them that changes are coming, uh, that's their program. I mean, that's their fear. And uh, I don't fear it. I'm excited about it. Yeah, you never know what's around the corner. <laughs> you know, there's an old saying, gods don't do boring things, you know. So <laughs> so we, we all chose these times. We chose to incarnate through these times and... and um, you know, also in the book that talked about the tyrants and the international banksters and how they were going to uh, continue to evolve to the height of greed and power over others, and and uh, and you know it was it was going to get so ugly that uh, they're going to try to just pretty much enslave the entire planet, and and uh, and it talks about the beast, you know, and that is the beast basically, but. Uh, in the Lakota prophecies, it talks about this too, and it just says the beast is 2,000 miles wide, which means it's going to have its run for 2,000 years. And the beast is all-consuming, all-enslaving. It just wants to dominate, control, uh, enslave, and consume everything. And they said in the last days, when you think there's no hope, the beast consumes itself. And and then we have the thousand years of peace, and then we have the re unification with the off-worlders, you know, the greater family of man comes in 
and and we are definitely in that process right now. It, it's pretty undeniable. Well, our keeping our thoughts um, pure and, and uh, sending out love is very important right now, isn't it? Oh, definitely holding the frequency. You know, the way I see it is you, you look at this stuff as an observer, and you just observe it without fear, you know, without any attachment. You have to practice loving detachment and pay attention, and, and people need to make their own uh, inner contact with creator, spirit, whatever name you want to give it. You know, people need to make their own personal God connection and listen to that message. And some people are going to get a message it might be time to move, you know, out of the area you're in or... Or it might be time to start maybe storing up some food. Or it might be time to uh, start making friends with your neighbors, you know, and networking. So, you know, everybody's going to get a different message. But it's it's so imperative right now that people start tuning in and uh, and slowing down. We need to slow the mind down because the mind is just going to go crazy during these times. <laughs> I know just the, the first few weeks of, 2012 just seems like it's like really yeah yeah if you can't find your center uh, you know how are you going to help others because people are going to be losing it and that's the bottom line it's the frequencies and the earth is changing she's chosen to go to the next level and and that which isn't frequency specific to that is is going to have a really hard time so so it's very important, like the practice we teach here, like Yigong and some other practices, a lot of meditation practices are, are imperative right now, and they're, they're actually called the absence of mind. You get into that no-mind space by doing these practices, and you balance out the body and the elements in the body, the, the five elements, and, and uh, uh, these practices are very, very important. You know, a daily meditation practice, and also clearing out all the old wounds and traumas and wrong conclusions from past experience is imperative because all of that is going to be amplified and accelerated and, and you know, there's going to be a major acceleration to karma as well. well I'm so glad you talked about Qigong because Qigong is such a powerful way to bring <clears throat> energy into the body and it helps ground you mm-hmm. and uh, it's such a powerful technique and I'm glad to hear that you mentioned that. That's really important. <laughs> yeah, but I we, we practice Qigong. It's it's Y I G O N G, but Qigong as well. I have some people that come and teach Qigong, but the one that we practice is basically Qigong, and it's it's one of the most ancient practices, and it's very simple. It's 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 very simple. The the process is less is more. You know the. The more complicated you get with this stuff, the more mental you get, and and so it's it's a really simple form. So you put it's Y I G O N G. Is that what you're saying? Jim? Yes. Uh huh. And can people find out how to do that, or? Yeah, you know we have web, we have actually videos here of uh, Jenny Lamb, and she's very well known. She was in all those martial arts movies coming out of China, you know where. They're jumping off of trees and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and bamboo. Uh, she's she's uh, uh, was in those movies. She was main one of the main choreographers and and uh, teaching the practices and things. Uh, but uh, she's she does the the yigong. She's been at it for quite a while and she's one of the main teachers. And there's actually a video on our website nice. that you can Feels get. Good. Yeah, that has her doing teaching the base 
practices, and then we have workshops here on a regular basis that are teaching, you know, yi gong, nei gong, qi gong, several different <laughs> gongs, and then the self-mastery classes, which are more into interdimensional mind and who's who in the universe and teach people how to heal unseen negative influences and things of that nature. Oh, it's very interesting. Now, um, is there anything that we can do on a personal level or individual level um, to help go through this energy shift? I mean, besides being focused and meditate. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, with the politics. um, Yeah. Do you just see that? Yeah, that's insane. You know, the the politics going on is totally insane. And, and, you know, that's, that's all part of the prophecy. It was to be expected. Uh, and, and they are showing themselves for what they are, especially with this NDA 1867 bill, which now they can arrest you anywhere, anytime, and hold you indefinitely. Uh, you know, with the military, who's not really supposed to be operating within within the, the government. They're not supposed to be, you know, posse comitata has just been thrown out the, the window, as, as well as all of your rights. And, uh, you know, what I've seen here, I mean, we're dealing with, this here on a local level, on a county level, uh, they stated very clearly that we have no right to, uh, we have no freedom of speech, we have no freedom to practice our spiritual beliefs, we have no freedom to assembly, you know, the right to assembly is not there, uh, several, no right to privacy, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, you give somebody a little bit of power and it goes to their head, but uh, we've been trying to deal with that on a county level. And, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with some people that just don't have all their oars in the water that, that think, think they have the right to just run over anyone and everyone, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, in the name of being American, you know. So it's kind so of you're a real dealing with that at, Yeah, it, it's so contrary to that. Yeah, it's totally contrary. I mean, they, they go, we're American, you know, they're kind of real redneck thing. And I go, well, then why don't you follow the Constitution? You know, why don't you, uh, you know, operate, you know, under the, the guidelines that you yourself have created, you know. But uh, it, it's just getting really insane out there. What I know what Kazekiel said. I love what he said. He said, in the last days, all of your institutions are going to be doing exactly opposite of what they were created to do. And and so, you know, you really look at, you know, the, the defense, you know, department is the uh, offense department. You know, everything is opposite. You know, you know the center of disease control is, is really not controlling anything. I mean, they're actually doing the opposite. But uh, with all the injections and, and uh, the stuff in the injections and, and that they're doing worldwide, uh, you know, spreading a lot of problems. But, you know, it goes on and on. If you look into every agency, uh, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency is just basically uh, – doing the opposite you know they're they're covering up what's being done to the environment so so it, it's you know almost you really look at it the integrity levels the honesty the service that these levels that these people were created to do are are actually operating on the highest levels you know exactly opposite but the good news is is on the ground level the other people are waking up and really coming forward and saying you know enough's enough enough uh, uh, you know that, like all of our politicians, are there to to protect the Constitution, 
and the people, you know, and and now they've totally trashed it, you know. It's uh, <laughs> well, you would think that our rights being taken away would be on top of the news or in the debates with the Republicans, and mm-hmm. they're having all these debates. You would think that would be one of the main topics. Oh yeah, I mean, right up front, just say, "Did you sign this bill? Well, you're guilty of treason." End of story. You know. <laughs> you know, so, so much for being president. I think what's interesting, too, is that I know uh, Georgia, Obama can't even run in Georgia because he hasn't established his citizenship. And uh, and that's such a gray area there. It's such a mess. So uh, several other states are following suit, so he may not even be able to run uh, in quite a few states just because of that. Hmm. Then he can... Uh... <laughs> Bring out another card out of the sleeve. <laughs> yeah, he'll just be dictator. He'll just—he already has declared himself dictator. So, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I was watching some debates, and they—they had a lot of good stuff. And it was Michael Moore and and all these other people, and they're talking about how the poor, how the, the middle class has now become the poor, and uh, and how the Native Americans and 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 the black people, all these people have been totally oppressed, you know, and all these things, which, which is true. And how we've been, America was built, you know, on, you know, you know, look at the uh, what we did to the Native Americans. I'm part Native American myself, so I can talk about this. <laughs> but look at what happened to them. <clears throat> and and we also look at, and then the slaves were, you know, built it, you know, built up America on top of that. And so the history of America is pretty messed up, uh, if you really think about how it came into being. But, uh, you know, there's been tyranny all the way through the, the creation of this country, and it's just hit the uh, apex, I think, of, of tyranny right now. And now these same people have turned on on the uh, the masses, you know. So so it's it's just a short amount. I think it's, I call them the powers that were, because it's just a short amount of time. They're going to they're gonna rise and fall very quickly here. Yeah, we're going to see it happening sooner than later, right? <laughs> oh yeah, very soon. I I I would see an American, you know, like the Arab Spring, I'm seeing that coming to America. And and well, I know most most of the military is fed up too. I mean, they're just done with with what's happening, so uh it's going to get real interesting. Well, well it was done actually without the consent of the people. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's really uh, uh it's amazing. It, even uh, I, God's God's law is not even upheld <laughs> in any way. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's just well, these a, people a power think play. they are God. You know, that's the problem. These they, these people actually think they are God. That they are Lord over everyone and everything, and they don't have any higher force. You know, other than their own program. So I think I think what's really funny right now is these ships are appearing everywhere. And there's not a damn thing they can do about it. Uh, and and now these beings who are much more enlightened, much more powerful, much more wise, their technology is beyond our imagination, are appearing here on the earth. Can you imagine what these guys are doing now that, that think they are in control of everything? I mean, I'm, they got to be, be freaking out right now going, oh, crap, you know, who are these guys? <laughs> you know, And are yeah, they going to mess with our program? That's the... the the religious rulers um, that kind of knocks the wind out of their cells too. Oh yeah, yeah. It's 
you know, they're all jockeying for position. I know even Billy Graham said that he calls them God's other angels. You know, uh, the Catholic Church now is saying, you know, that doesn't interfere with their belief at all, having off-world visitors. And and, uh, and they said that, you know, they even said they don't need to be baptized because uh, uh, they're not part of the original sin that happened here on Earth. <laughs> so so uh, I think that's yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, it was amazing when the Pope said that he actually believed that there were UFOs. So I thought, oh, yeah. And you know what's too? They actually got rid of purgatory too recently. So, so I, I guess they have to go back. Like I love what Mihal Ledwith said. He said, "Now what? What do we do now? Do we go go back to hell and give them get out of hell pass free, or uh, <laughs> you know, you know?" So that was it. Pretty much kicked him off the the uh, his theologian society or whatever that was that was an advisor to the Pope at the time. Now, well, for them to stay alive, they almost have to retreat. In some yeah. way, you know, yeah. um, and, and allow people their their um, freedom, their God freedom, and and just mm-hmm. instead of them trying to put up their rules and regulations, because uh, people aren't following it anyhow, basically, probably. Well, yeah, you know, any so. any law, any any of these rules and regulations, or supposedly laws that they're passing, are automatically. Uh, uh, kicked out, basically, if they're not aligned with the Constitution. If they're unconstitutional, they're automatically, I'm trying to think, nullified, basically. So so even though they can write down these things on this little piece of paper and put their signatures on it, it, it really, you know, there's God's law, there's uh, universal law, whatever you want to call it, and then there's basically the Constitution, which is the supreme law of the land. So they can write up all these little bills they want and put their little stamps on them. It it really isn't going to matter when people wake up to to what's going on and and that the uh, you know the real law. And you know I love what Jesus said. He said on these two laws lie all the laws and the commandments. And there's love God with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. I mean that's pretty basic. And if we just operate under those two basic premises, you know we wouldn't have all these wars and all these other problems going on. Well, what I, no, I'm just kind of looking ahead. If we, <laughs> if because I think the, our politicians or our government is thinking there could be a revolution in our own country. I mean, people are going oh, yeah. to get up and say we want to back. They know it's coming. But and and they use, they go to uh, military law, or they, mm-hmm. the military comes in. How are they going to get the people in the military to? follow orders to, to uh. <laughs> yeah that's going to be a real problem i mean they've got their little puppets in in the military you know that they think are going to control things but you know overall uh you know you swear an oath all of them do you know even the police everybody swear an oath and uh you know this oath keepers movement and all these other things that are going on uh are pretty clear you know a lot of the sheriffs are getting involved too which are they're elected officials they're the highest power basically as far as enforcement and they're getting together going wait a second you know we aren't going to uh participate in this program so so you know it's going to get really interesting i i think there's a lot of good people high integrity people and courageous people in the military and in enforcement that are just going to say you know this is this isn't isn't working for me, you know. This is not right, and and uh, and they are going to fulfill their oath and protect the people eventually. 
Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I see happening. So there yeah. is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. I I feel good about it. I mean, I, we are going to be severely challenged, but what I know is that there is a frequency and a force that's pressing hard on the earth, and it's beyond imagination. And there's, there's no man that can stop this. And the earth itself is evolving to the next level. So uh, these guys are not going to be frequency specific to what's happening here. You know, they're not in that flow. And, and there's going to be some very serious consequences to that. You know, and it's it's all done at their own hands. Well, I, James, I'd like to take out um, a little bit of time and share the wonderful surroundings that you have where you are and to tell people about this mountain retreat that you've created, you know, and what it's like so that when the snow melts, they can come up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, it's a 70-acre. Yeah, it's a 70-acre ranch, and it's on a vortex. There's some real high energy here. And people come here, and they just have a major expansion. Uh, we have kind of a three-day policy. We let people come up for like three days and, and uh, hang out because after three days, you're, you, you know, you're usually all blissed out, but the problem with this wonderful energy is it brings up all your issues, you know, and all your other stuff. So uh, we we have a lot of process-oriented uh, therapies here, uh, breath work and, and the transpersonal release sessions and things to help people get through that process. But, you know, sometimes people will refuse to to own, you know, their stuff, you know, and they go into blame or projection mode and things like that. And, and that just, that's part of the process. It's happening globally right now, but it gets accelerated here because of the energy. But we've also had amazing spontaneous healings here where where broken wrists are healed, you know, in a moment. Uh, tumors disappear. All these things happen here quite often uh, just because the veils are so thin here and the awakening and healing process is amplified. You know, it's it's accelerated. But uh, it's just a beautiful, pristine area. We're right at the base of Mount Adams. We're looking right up at Mount Adams. Uh, there's a a door that opens occasionally on Mount Adams, this huge light door, and things come in and out of it. <laughs> and so we have that on film as well. Wow. And so so not only are we having masters appear here, uh, we're having, you know, the ultra-dimensionals and the higher-dimensional beings are appearing here on a regular basis. And, and you know, we also have the, you know, the government comes and tries to check it out and chases them around a little bit, and, which is which is their job, you know, <laughs> that's their job. It's a total waste of fuel, but uh, uh, they they do their thing, and, and uh, which is kind of fun, you know, fun to watch. But, is there uh, a military base nearby? Not really. The, they have a proving ground where they do some things over in Yakima, which is way on the other side of the mountain over there. Uh, I don't know how active that is. It's like a little training place they go to now and then. Uh, and then you've got McCord, which is way over in, I think it's Tacoma or, or not even Tacoma. I think it's over by Yelm. I'm not sure exactly where McCord is, but that would probably be the closest. They do scramble jets uh, out of uh, uh, PDX, out of Portland. Uh-huh. Uh, they do scramble some military jets that are, that, and we've seen these jets. They're all black. They have no markings on them whatsoever, and... Uh, the uh, you know the documentary if people go to map makers 
uh, on YouTube. Just type in Mac, Mac, uh, Map Makers, and uh, they did a documentary on this place. And you can actually see these jets flying treetop level, circling the place. And I think they put the helicopters in there too, as well, the black helicopters. But you know, they they have no markings, and they're here on a regular basis. And there's there's uh, you know we zoom way in on them, and they're they're completely unmarked. Uh, um, is there a Native uh, Americans that that live close by, or well, yeah, we're right on the border almost. Uh, it's you know you could actually walk there, and you're on the Yakima Nation. So uh, the Mount Adams, a good portion of Mount Adams, is part of the Yakima Nation, and they've you know the elders know all about the activity here, and they have an area they won't even go to. They call it the Fairy Lights, and they they just stay out of that area. It, 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 you know, it's too freaky. Um, I've gone up there and I've hung out, and and it is freaky. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on there. But uh, if you stay in your heart, you know, and just really light your energy up and just do clearings, you know, it's, it's fine. You can go just about anywhere. But uh, the we just flew around the mountain recently, and I'm pretty sure it's on the website, but uh, I show it in my class in the talks that I do as well, but uh, we flew around the mountain when the snow was totally melted off, and there is uh, a cave, a double cave system there, and right at the base of the cave looks like this massive Buddha that's carved out of lava, and uh, and that's one of the areas we see all the time that lights up and things come in and out of it, but it's almost like a sheer cliff where this cave is. It, I don't even know how you'd climb up there. Uh, you probably have to repel down to get into it, but uh, you know we, we there's some pretty crazy stuff going on up here. I'm I'm sure it's all going to just keep unfolding. And it's it's uh, really remarkable that you were guided to go there and and create this center. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was very clear clear guidance, you know, to come here. You know, I was focused mainly on just creating the healing center. I wasn't even looking for UFOs. They they found us as the more we cleared our own energies and the more we did our meditation and our spiritual work, you get to a certain level where you're sending out a frequency and, and they find you. Now, is there any other place um, on Earth, like your place, I mean, that have the sightings that you have and and have the... Um no, we we have the we have the exclusive on UFOs like Billy Meyer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, is there any other uh, spiritual center that's? Uh, oh yeah, definitely. There, you know, there's centers popping up everywhere. I mean, and, close uh, to something like what you have, like with the UFOs. Yeah, and you know, I would tell people be very leery about anybody that says they have the exclusive on, on God or ET or whatever that. Uh, because everybody can make contact. I mean, it's in our genes, basically, and and uh, and nobody has an exclusive on God. I mean, that's it's omnipresent. That's beyond ridiculous. But uh, there are people making those claims out there, and I, I would be very wary because it's a big distraction, you know, from people making their own personal connection, spirit, or or even making their own contact with the higher dimensional beings. But uh, uh, in Peru, there's some amazing places. There's a Rama group in Peru that's doing something very similar that we are doing and having some very good results. Um, I know there's some people in Ireland that are having some great uh, experiences, you know, doing the same thing. Um, Australia, there's a guy in Australia that has a retreat center that's having 
full-blown contact and ships flying around. And, and there's some people in Mexico, too, that are, are having the same experience. Yeah. Well, I would, well I would when think, I've gone to your website, it's pretty it's pretty awesome uh, to head there. I mean, you have so many wonderful things on there. Um, by the way, it's eceti.org, E-C-E-T-I.org. Mm-hmm. And um, it, you have things, for instance, like orbs that, there's one picture there in particular that I I went oh my goodness uh, where an orb a huge orb had had uh, uh, kind of streaked over the vendors within within the building and uh-huh. um, and you know there's just these things that we never think about and even in your um, in your uh, 70 acre mountain retreat area you know you have lots of photos where the orbs are surrounding the people and mm-hmm. um, you know just people never think about this kind of stuff and <laughs> yeah. um, you know they don't they, I mean we go about our business and, and try and stay focused throughout the day and things like yeah. that but when a, when a photo is taken and this pops up on the photo, you go, wow, what is that, you know? Well, I've had people try to totally debunk orbs, and they said that's just dust, and you're taking pictures of dust, you know, uh, or they come up with a, that's just particulate matter, you know, in the air. and They always have these ways of debunking it, but what we did is we took uh, third-generation night vision goggles, and then we took an infrared spotlight, which lights up the infrared spectrum, and you can see these orbs in real time flying around, interacting with people, uh, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Which, and I always say, you know, East Seti is where the debunkers come to die because, <laughs> you know, if you come here for a little while, uh, you're going to see things and experience things that you just cannot wrap your head around, and you cannot explain other than the obvious. You know that, you know, the UFOs are here. They're unidentified. They're flying. They're powering up. They're interacting with people. The orbs are here. Uh, beings are appearing here. They're just out of the visible light spectrum, and and uh, and we're we're crowded. kind of blending. <laughs> yeah, we're blending science and and spirituality here, so you can actually document this. Yeah, you might not be able to feel it, but you can absolutely see <laughs> see the results in a photo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you feel. I had this Greek guy here. It was hilarious. This guy's very kind of you know emotional. He's out in the field, and this uh, this big orb comes down and hits him right in the chest, you know, right in the heart. And you see his hands fly up in the air, and he goes, oh, my God, you know, and he's, like, laughing. And, and uh, you can see the total interaction. He, see, he goes, God, I just got this huge bliss hit, you know, out of nowhere. And uh, and that's the thing is, if you are sensitive, you know, they'll play with you, and, and uh, you know, they'll even heal you. You'll get all kinds of things coming from these higher dimensional beings. Now I wonder sometimes when when you're just doing certain things and you kind of feel this chill um, come over you, going whoa, you know, um, and like you say, it's just kind of you feel as though you've been interacted with something. I wonder if that's an orb uh, in your surrounding or something. It could be. It could be an orb. It could be uh, anything because the Pleiadians can do that. The you know Mary and some of the other masters and and good old Yeshua and those guys are. are still around they're just on the next dimension they can you know zap you uh it could nature be just spirit. about anything do you, have you ever um, dealt with the nature spirits up there oh yeah we have like uh 
uh, Jana, who is our resident elf here, uh, she gets amazing photographs of fairies and little gnomes and all kinds of, of crazy stuff. And, you know, these little beans have wings. And we had a psychologist here. It was really funny sitting with a guy. And a fairy flew right up in her face and sat there and hovered and then took off. And she just came unglued. And she goes, I medicate people for these things. And I, I said, well, I'm to start thinking a little differently and maybe maybe get off the meds and kind of support people in their awakening process. Yeah, can you imagine you're awakening and, and seeing all this and then you go to a psychologist who just gives you the yeah. yeah, Yeah, you've been counseling people all your life that this isn't real, it's your imagination and, and prescribing meds, you know. Yeah. Well, your next session will be different with the next person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, maybe can, you want to go imagine? back home and have play with this. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine, like, like going to a counselor and go, you know, I'm, I'm really having problems. I'm, I'm seeing masters and, and uh, fairies and gnomes and, and, and also some really dark spirits, you know. And, and your counselor going, you know what? You're really okay. You just need to learn how to heal negative influences and talk to the good ones, you know. And and if people would do that, you wouldn't have all these psych wards full up, you know, and, and all these other problems going on. Well, I see that your center is like a beam of light that attracts all these different uh, beautiful uh, spiritual gnomes. and um, I mean, you're just like a porch light, and everything's attracted to you. And I think building an energy is very important because oh, yeah. I've seen that done just um, in an environment where people do meditation and uh, that type of thing. The energy builds, and then it attracts all these good things. Oh, it does. You can definitely build your own vortex in your living room. There's Tibetan techniques to do that, and that's what we teach. You know, We teach people how to you know, spin the energy and move up and down. And, and actually what's happening in our classes, in the self-mastery classes, we're actually having people vanish. <laughs> <laughs> and move out of frequency into the next level and back again. And and the Yigong Masters, and, and one of the guys named Khan does it on a regular basis. He's been bilocating and doing all kinds of things. Well, all these things are coming to light, and uh, so many non-believers are going to start to believe. believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's I kind of see... It's really interesting. I don't know how this is all going to unfold. Uh, they've been talking about this bifurcation process where one group will go one way and another group will go another way. And I think there's a lot of people that aren't going to be paying attention at all to the changes that might be caught off guard. Um, there's so many different ways, and some people are going to just shift you know, into a whole new world, You know, be moving into a whole new frequency. So I, I think there's so many different things going on here. It's when people ask you what's going to happen in 2012, I think it's up to the individual, and and if you're paying attention or not is what's going to happen. Well, there were whole cultures uh, that disappeared. That's mm-hmm. what happened to them. They just went to a higher frequency. Yeah, and and it's not that hard to do that. Believe it or not, you'd be surprised. Uh, there are a lot of young folks here now that are incarnating that are doing this, you know, at at will and. And, uh, you know, it's very easy for them. It's it's not so hard. Well, isn't it magical to be able to live in your kind of world that everybody can live in if they, you know, 
Yeah. Well, we, you know, we're not without our challenges because holding that frequency here, there are people that would love to to shut that down. So, so uh, I always tell people, you know, the closer you get to nirvana, the more the demons rear their ugly heads. That's an old yogic expression. So, uh, even though you may be focused on love and joy and bliss and peace and everything else, it doesn't mean you're not going to have your challenges. You get bumped a couple of times. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to be tested. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what, it's, it, we have about, you know, a minute or so left. James, is there something you want to be able to um, give out to our listeners um, that you want them to know about, and we'll go from there? You know, I think the main thing right now is to realize there is help out there on a grand scale, but it needs to be initiated. And so no matter what faith you are, if you want to, you know, pray to Buddha or Jesus or, or whoever, uh, Kuan Yin, you know, and, and put it out there and just say, can can you help? And, and also who are helping us on, an, on a monumental scale we don't even know about are these ultra-dimensional beings. You know, some of the Pleiadians is in Orion Council of Light and the Andromedans and Arcturians. All these other beings are coming in right now to assist us, but a lot of them are waiting they're waiting for us as a collective and individually to initiate that contact and, and really put it out there uh, to to ask for help, that we need, you know, as much help as we can get in this process to get through this 2012, and, and we can get some just major divine intervention. So uh, I think at night people need to do their prayers, you know, their meditations, and really ask seriously for help in their own awakening healing process and the planetary awakening healing as well. Thank you for bringing so much joy to so many people. We really we really appreciate who you are, James, and thank you for oh, thank being you. with us. Just Amir. And play with us. Uh, have fun playing yeah. with us. Well, thank snow. you so much for the work for you're it. doing. <laughs> you know, the work you're doing is just awesome. So keep up that work and keep keep spreading the, uh, the wisdom and the joy and, and uh, you know, uh, I you know. Hopefully, uh, we can turn this planet around. Yeah. Well, with help from great people like you, thank you for being with us. <laughs> All right. Take care. Uh huh. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed um, listening to that for a second time. And remember, this coming weekend, we have. Uh, Louise Hay Ignite Conference in San Jose Performing Arts between, uh, it's on Saturday and Sunday between 9 a.m. and 5. If you want to know more about it, hop on louisehay.com and you can find out about buying tickets and how to get a ticket and all the different people that will be playing. It will be Louise Hay herself, Doreen Virtue, and Dr. Wayne, Dwayne, hello, 